Hello and welcome to the Power in the Key podcast. I'm your host, Neil Winterson, and joining me on the line as he does every week, and a very happy birthday for tomorrow, it's Ben Cad. How are you, Caddy? Yeah, feeling another year older, no doubt, getting closer to 40, but um, no, feeling re-energised with the, all the transactions that we've just seen over the during the week with the NBA trade deadline, and yeah, hopefully it's uh, shaking things up and really uh, have an exciting kind of climax to the end of the season now. Well, it certainly should. So that's obviously going to be the focus of today's episode. So we had the trade deadline on Friday, and in true NBA style, not a lot happened early on in the piece, but there was certainly a flurry of trades late. Uh, there was actually 16 trades involving 23 teams, so only seven teams were not involved in the trade period, and 46 players moved, which was which was a record in all three of those categories there. So certainly plenty of action. Uh, so what we'll do is we'll talk about uh, some of the, the teams that were the major sort of movers and shakers in, in the trade deadline. And the first team who, who had the most sort of input into the trade deadline, more so for what will definitely more so for who they moved out, was the Orlando Magic. And we'll talk about the, the first move they made and probably the biggest one and probably a little bit surprising, even though it had sort of been spoken about leading up to the trade deadline, was Nikola Vucevic and Alfarik Amino moving to the Chicago Bulls for Wenda Carl Jr., Otto Porter, 2021 first-round pick and a 2023 first-round pick, which is top four protected. Uh, given you're a Bulls fan, Caddy, I'll let you take the floor with this. What did you think of this deal, firstly, for the Chicago Bulls? Oh, look, it was a, quite a surprising move, really, as a Chicago fan. I mean, we've been sitting back, kind of waiting for this this team to develop into what we hope would have been a, a quite a competent roster ever since the Jimmy Butler trade four or five years ago. So really, since then, it's been a bit of a, a mismatch of um, you know young players bringing in some veterans, trying to help them through, but nothing has really clicked. And I think they've kind of got to the point, um, obviously they've got new general management in place this season. So I think with all those things considered and, and just with their current standing just being, you know, just sitting outside the um, uh, outside the Eastern Conference playoff picture, they kind of, you know, moved a couple of chips in to try and get another, you know, another big star into the into the city and look they've been really struggling from a, a free agent point of view over the last many years really to get anyone significant in they obviously struck out in 2010 during the LeBron James sweepstakes they were obviously all in on there and ended up settling with Carlos Boozer you know who was, who was a key part of the team there on some really strong playoff runs but outside of that there hasn't been any really major free agent signing so really uh, the, the year they got Wade and, and Rondo which obviously didn't turn out real well did it? No, it didn't, and that was sort of a you know a bit of a they were talking up a, a big three there with Jimmy Butler at the time, and it was um yeah look it just wasn't the right fit. Clearly lacked shooting, and there was a real void in leadership in terms of you know each individual there, not quite sort of understanding what it took to to bring the young players through with them, and you know then obviously you know Wade and Rondo got out of town, and then Butler got traded to Minnesota, and then that was really the reset for the Bulls, and they brought in Zach Levine as part of that trade, and they got their seventh pick in that draft, which ended up being Laurie Market. And so, look, at least they were able to to grab some assets out of that trade, albeit, you know, Jimmy Butler's certainly gone on and, and been, you know, a, a key player of a, you know, of an NBA finals team or a leading player, uh, a leading player there. So, you know, it's been a, a bit of a, a long wait to come back to really any relevance. The following year, Wendell Carter was drafted in the seventh slot as well. We've then had another number seven pick, Kobe White as well. So they've gone to the draft. They've tried to, you know, put a team around Zach Levine. And in the end, you know, they've really settled into a mediocre position. So this trade, at least with Vucevic coming in, another all-star player, two-time all-star now, you know, at least gives, you know, a really strong partner to put with Zach Levine, particularly on the offensive end. You know, the concern is whether or not they've, 
uh, given up too much in the trade. Obviously, you know, you know, there was high hopes on Wendell Carter coming out of Duke when he did as the number seven overall selection with, you know, strong comparisons to an Al Horford type of player. But he just hasn't had a fair run of it really in the two and a half years he's been on the roster with injuries being really unsettling for him. And he and he's, you know, ha- hasn't really shown the upside I'm sure the Bulls manager must have been looking for. And then to put those, you know, two pretty lightly protected first round picks in, if, you, if you're honest, when you're looking at it, just protected one through four in both this year's draft and in 2023, you know, there is certainly some risk associated that, you know, one or both of those picks could be a lottery pick potentially, but, you know, at least mid-round picks as well. So they have given up a little bit to get the deal done, but I think to get an opportunity to bring a guy like Vooch into the team and, you know, still have Zach Levine, Laurie Markinen, the number four pick from last year's draft, Patrick Williams and Kobe White, then, you know, you do have a, you know, a pretty solid call there with Thaddeus Young and Sansaransky as well. So, Look, hopefully, I'm sure they're thinking that they can push through into, you know, at least into the the playing tournament and hopefully, you know, uh, into a first round playoff matchup. That would certainly now be the expectation for the Bulls and at, at, at the very minimum because they, you know, they really sort of mortgaged, you know, a significant part of the future here. And and I, I think it's a risk worth taking as a, as a fan. It's nice to see them active and, and really being um, proactive in, in this situation. Do you think that they were feeling a little bit of pressure, given that Zach Levine's out of contract at the end of next season? He'll obviously be a hot commodity in the free agent market. Uh, do you think that this that was maybe one of the main reasons they do they did pull the trigger? Uh, Zach Levine might look around at the end of the next year and think, well, Chicago, we're a few years off from being really competitive. Patrick Williams has looked really promising so far, but you'd imagine it's probably going to take him another couple of seasons before he turns himself into a real winning player. So do you think that was one of the main reasons they pulled the trigger on this deal? Yeah, look, I think management are always trying to look at keeping their key players happy. And at least in this case, um, at the very least, that Zach Levine can, can certainly look the Bulls management in the eye and know that they've prepared to build around him as the franchise player and put some really strong talent around him. And they're not going to wait. You know, they're ready to, you know, to kind of pull, pull the trigger now and, and try and get the best out of this prime that he's, you know, got himself into in his career. So I think when, you know, his free agency does come online at the end of next year, then at least... He's got some real faith that Chicago are prepared to to make the big move and and to you know, not just take their chances through the draft. They're prepared to get active and and I think a guy like Nikola Vucevic, who is under contract for not only the rest of this season for another two seasons, at, at what is probably a really fair contract, one that does decrease in value year on year. So he's it's an excellent contract, he's, isn't it? Yeah, so he's, he decreases from twenty six million this year to twenty four down to twenty two at the end of twenty two twenty three. So that's a really appetising contract for an all star. Uh, level player so at least the Bulls have got flexibility now to to really pay Levine what he will be worth at the end of next season when he does enter into free agency and and then you know they can we'll still have cap space left over at the end of that to try and bring in another A-grade talent depending on what happens with um, Laurie Markman's restricted free agency at the end of this season. They were also able to add Daniel Tice as well, which I thought was an excellent move. So Tice had been the starting centre for, for the Boston Celtics, but he now go, goes into a backup role, obviously, behind Vucevic, and arguably could be, if he's not the best backup centre, he's certainly in the in the top handful of uh, backup centres there. So that's a really good get for them as well. And they also were able to add Troy Brown Jr. from, from Washington, who was a first-round pick only three seasons ago. Look, he's fallen off a little bit this year, but he certainly showed some promise over his first couple of years. So I think they did really well uh, during this period there. It's going to be interesting from my perspective to see how these minutes sort of uh, shake out. So they had their first game today with Vucevic, and the starting lineup was Levine, Markin, and Patrick Williams, Sadoransky, and Vucevic. 
and and White Temple Young and Brown Jr. and Amino sort of got a bulk of the minutes off the bench. How do you see the minutes being divvied up here? I, I would have thought you'd close with a lineup of maybe Levine, Kobe White, Thad Young, Patrick Young, and Vucevic. It gives you a little bit of defense and certainly mainly offense. If you look at that starting five they rolled out today, I reckon there's not a lot of defense being played there apart from Patrick Williams. So what what do you think their best way to sort of tackle their closing five would be? Yeah, look, the, the elephant in the room here is Laurie Markinen, and, and that's probably not just from my individual fantasy basketball circumstances where I just get worried that particularly with now Vucevic obviously being the key, key plank really in this team and certainly a guy that you're going to have on the floor at the end of the game with him, Levine and Markinen. There is a bit of a void defensively. So that's where I think Markin is at risk of losing some minutes, particularly the Thaddeus Young or even Daniel Tice now in those sort of four and five man spots. So I think, you know, for me, I would suggest that Markin, you know, may be the one that gets sort of shuffled out, particularly late in games um, or if things aren't going well, which it, which doesn't bode well for him in terms of, you know, really trying to maximise value. As we said, a restricted free agent at the end of this year and looking for a, obviously a generous offer sheet from from somewhere else, and then whether you know the Bulls can make a decision on whether they're going to match or not. But I think, particularly defensively, then you know having Vucevic and Levine as your two best players who are primarily offensive, offensive guys, it, it probably means that Thaddeus Young and maybe Daniel Tice are going to have to play you know alongside the Vuce rather than Laurie Markkinen. I, I think that's maybe how it's going to have to end in the closing five uh, situation. Do you think Tyson and Vucevic could play together? They're both essentially centers. Now, they both do shoot the ball pretty well, particularly Vucevic, who's, who's shooting over 40% from three, and Tyson was basically a, four, uh, a stretching uh, big man for Celtics as well. So it, w- it would be it'd be unusual if they did play those two, but I, I, I hear what you're saying, given they probably do need that defense. Given what you said there about Laurie Markin, and th- there was there was sort of some interest sort of bubbling around about him during the trade period. Did, if he is going to have his minutes eaten into, do you think that maybe Chicago should have pulled the trigger and maybe tried to get something for him before he hit restricted free agency? Well, it sounded like the deal they were trying to push to get done was with New Orleans and, and bringing back Monzo Ball as part of that. But it sounded like the Pelicans were for, were looking for something in addition to marketing to put alongside in, the, in that deal, and the Bulls obviously weren't prepared to, to go any further than that. So... You know, from a Bulls point of view, again, I think Lonzo Ball would be a better fit into this into this team that's really screaming for additional playmaking um, and really competent ball handling at the end of games. But uh, uh, look, the Bulls obviously still have genuine hope that marketing can be a, a feature of their future, and you know they're just going to have to be able to work out how that fits. He obviously, you know, he, he does have great you know shooting generally, um, or the ability to shoot from three, so it does spread the floor out and helps a guy like Vucevic operate inside the paint. But yeah, I think. For me, the issue will come on the defensive end, and we saw it today. It just fell apart against the Spurs, who just um, ate them up, particularly in that second quarter. And they got on a bit of a run uh, late in the game. That was really on the back of you know when Amino and um, Brown Jr. came into the game and you know sort of uh, and got them back into it. But uh, yeah, I think the the challenge will be for Billy Donovan is yeah how they how they manage these. You know they do have a, a, a quite a big team now with Mark and Vucevic, Williams, Thaddeus Young, and um, all these guys trying to balance, and, and Daniel Tice as well, which trying to balance out how they can get them all onto the court. But um, look, I think it's a good problem to have. I think anytime you can add an all star into the team, you know, you, you've just got to make it, you, you almost got to make it work. And, you know, the problem for the Bulls in this situation is that they are, it's not like they're sitting, you know, comfortably inside the eight. There's a bit of a push to try and get into, you know, a four seed. Look, they're, they're sitting a fair, a fair part down the standings at the moment in the Eastern Conference, and there is quite a lot of work to do. Um, to get back in. So they're currently in the 10 spot, just a game and a half in front of Toronto Raptors. So, 
they, they do need to get a hurry on if they want to, you know, potentially push up and um, get into at least a six seed where they're three and a half games behind Atlanta at the moment. So given where they do sit in the standings at the moment and all they've given up to get Vucevic in, and you mentioned a mention you mentioned Aminu there, who will be a handy acquisition as well, and Daniel Tice obviously as well. Do you think it would be a disappointing if they did a disappointing end if they didn't make the playoffs? It'd be a disaster, to be honest. I, I think you know you, you make this trade at this point. So of the what odds? Sorry to cut you off. What 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 odds would you put it at that they do make the playoffs? Because as you said, there they're in the tenth spot at the moment. It's not going to be as easy as you would probably expect it to be. And there obviously is that playoff tournament. But what odds would you think they would be to make the playoffs? Well, you'd have to think at least fifty fifty to make to make it in there. But look, if if the season finished right now. They'd be playing the Boston Celtics in a playoff uh, in a play-in game just to make it into the first round of the playoffs, and that's not a game I'd really want to be a part of from a Chicago Bulls point of view. So, you know, there is a bit of a logjam there between you know positions four through all the way down to eleven. So you've got uh, the Charlotte Hornets who are now unbelievably up into the fourth seed, which is only four games ahead of the Chicago Bulls in the tenth seed. So, you know, there is an opportunity there, but I think when you make a trade like this, you've given up. Uh, basically given up on Wendell Carter Jr., who was a you know a top seven pick not so long ago, and then two future first round picks. You know you, you put your cards on the into the middle of the table, and you know I think the expectation certainly from Bulls management would be that this team needs to make a run and and be a playoff team. Yeah, I agree. I'm sure that's exactly what they're thinking, and I like the trade for Chicago. It's good to see a team sort of going all in and not just sort of just biding their time and saying, you know, we've got Patrick Williams, a rookie, good, go for it, get get an all-star in, get Daniel Tice in, get these guys in and make a push. And I really hope for Chicago's sake that they do make the playoffs. So it'll be interesting to see how it does sort of shake out uh, the remainder of the season. Uh, the second big name that the Orlando Magic did move on was Aaron Gordon. And basically in a trade that we sort of predicted last week, Gordon and Gary Clark Jr. were moved to Denver for RJ Hampton, Gary Harris, and a 2025 first-round pick, which is top five protected. Now, I said last week that Aaron Gordon would be a, re- a really good acquisition for Denver, and I'm just going to sort of repeat, I'd get, repeat that again this week. I really like it. I said last week the closing five of Murray, Barton, Gordon, Porter Jr., and Jokic could be really lethal. I just like it, the fact that Aaron Gordon, who's probably been treading water certainly the last you know, two to three seasons. He's shown plenty of potential, but he's been asked to do too much on the offensive end. He can come in here now for Denver. He can be their third or fourth option. He can get the scraps on defense. You can imagine him cutting to the basket and Jokic hitting him with some of these beautiful backdoor passes that he likes to do, or these alley-oops, because he's obviously an uber-athlete, uh, Gordon. And if he could really focus on the defensive end firstly, that's certainly an area that Denver needs to improve in. So if he can bring that... Uh, understand that he's not going to be the second or third option on defense, oh, on offense. Sorry, as long as he's happy with that, he can find his role. And I reckon this can be a really good inclusion for for the Denver Nuggets. How ecstatic do you think Denver would be with this pickup, Caddy? Yeah, I think you, you nailed it, and you nailed it a week ago when we did sort of try and formulate how the Denver Nuggets could get into this Aaron Gordon sweepstakes. And I mean, Aaron Gordon is one of the biggest dictators in the competition. I think we need to sort of put that out on the table. He, you know, he looks no like question. When, he, when you go into the new car car yard and you see the nice, big, shiny car, that's what he kind of looks like. It's when you, then you go to test drive it, maybe things aren't quite what they seem. But, you know, look, I think for the Denver Nuggets, who, as we said, just don't want to waste another second of this um, unbelievable season that Nikola Jokic is currently having, you know, to be able to put him next to Jamal Murray and Michael Porter Jr., this is the guy that really needed to come in and sort of help this 20-ranked defense to come in, a big, versatile defender that they can sort of, um, the coach can now use to deal with, you know, some 
scoring threats on the inside and the outside and, you know, take some of that pressure off Jokic and Porter Jr. to be able to do that. So I think this is the move that they've needed to sort of make ever since Jeremy Grant decided to leave and, and go to Detroit, where although, albeit, you know, they were hoping, you know, Paul Millsap could suck, uh, soak up some of those minutes or Jamal for Grant, it just hasn't worked out. But Aaron Gordon coming in now gives them, you know, really good flexibility there to be able to mix and match lineups. And all things being equal, if Aaron Gordon can get back to you know the level of play that he has shown from time to time, then I think for Denver it's a it's a great move. And I think in the end, what they've given up, which was a protected you know twenty twenty five first round pick, you know the rights to RJ Hampton, who, who really hasn't um, you know come on yet. He's a really young player, and you know, going to be a couple of years away from being able to contribute anything. Denver are going to need, and then obviously Gary Harris, who we spoke about. You know, a number of weeks ago, being a starting shooting guard, averaging less than ten points a game, I think they've been able to get out, get get into Aaron Gordon without having to give up too much, which which was a really positive thing. And you know, the Denver Nuggets have been the team that have been building assets, you know, year after year um, previously, and got to you know got to a really high level now, and they've sort of cashed in a couple of those assets, which was the young draft pick. RJ Hampton and, and Gary Harris, and they've been able to keep Porter Jr. in there. I think their cap, their cap sheet's looking clear enough that they're going to be able to certainly pay him what they need to do at the end of 21-22. Uh, Aaron Gordon then expires at that same time, and then they've got a decision to make whether, you know, if they've, they, they've basically got a year and a half to evaluate his value to them, and then if they do want to pay him, then they're going to be able to have early bird rights and, and go over the tax if they need to to keep Jokic, Murray, Gordon, and Porter Jr. all together. So I think you know, from a win-now point of view and even from a longer-term play, Denver have done a really good job here. Yeah, they certainly have. So Gordon's uh, on one of those declining deals of, as well, $18 million this this year, 16.5 next year. So Gary Harris was on the books of 20 next year, I, I believe. So another tick in that box there. And it makes them really deep so that they can bring off the bench guys like Monte Morris, Paul Millsap, PJ Dozier, who's, who's having a pretty productive season. Campazo, we've seen some of the passes he that he dishes out. Jermichael Green. And they're also picked up uh, JaVale McGee for a couple of second-round picks as well, who who can obviously give some good coverage for Jokic. Now, you wouldn't imagine JaVale McGee's going to play many minutes in the playoffs. He didn't do that last year for the Lakers, but he can certainly you know eat up some minutes uh, for Jokic during the season, maybe give him a bit of a blow so he can bring his, his minutes down and he can be ready to go for the playoffs. So I do like the, uh, the acquisition of JaVale McGee as well, who's he's having an okay year in Cleveland, but I'm sure he's going to be a bit more productive uh, once he goes over to Denver in a winning situation there. Given the fact that they had to give up so much for Aaron Gordon, uh, we, we both agree this is a good move for him, but you look back at during the offseason, do you think, and it probably would have been canned at the time if they'd done this, but do you think that maybe they should have gone above the, the, the offer that Detroit gave to Jeremy Grant just so they kept him and then they wouldn't have had to part with RJ Hampton and this first-round pick? Yeah, look, I'm not sure that in the end it was going to be Denver's choice. From what it, from what the reports came out was basically Denver had offered him a, you know, a like for like contract almost with what he ended up signing with Detroit. So they would have had to pay over that, and it may not have been a level that they were comfortable with. And in the end, it sounded like uh, Jeremy Grant was pretty much ready to go and spread his wings and and try and be a bigger part of uh, of probably a lesser franchise really, and really show what he was capable of in a more leading role, and which he certainly wasn't going to have if he stayed in Denver. So. I'm not sure that in the end that that was such an issue because I think they did, you know, were prepared to to pay up uh, for Jeremy Grant and he kind of decided that he was going to be um, best for his own personal uh, play to go elsewhere. So in the end, I think to be able to get this done, get a guy like Aaron Gordon in, and, and I still think they they probably haven't paid full price to what say Aaron Gordon may have got on the market, you know, even a season ago. So I think they've been able to get out of it 
uh, pretty well, albeit now RJ Hampton got some real upside that which which is perfect for a, a team or a franchise like Orlando. He wasn't going to get that opportunity to develop with any meaningful minutes anytime soon on this Denver Nuggets uh, lineup. So to be able to turn that asset into a guy like Aaron Gordon, I think it's um you know quite positive for Denver and a, a move that you know really when the when you're looking at the standings for them, only you know to three and a half games outside the the two seed, they've got a real opportunity as well to to really try and push up now and and you know be taken ex- extremely seriously in the postseason. So where does this put Denver for you in the pecking order in the West? For me, it puts them – I've still got the Lakers on top despite the fact that LeBron and Davis obviously have some question marks over their injuries at the moment and the Lakers didn't add anything over the, the trade period, which we'll talk about a little bit later. I've got them probably with the Clippers, certainly in, in that rung below the Lakers. So probably with the Clippers for me, Denver, the Denver Nuggets are with this acquisition of Aaron Gordon. How high do you think it springs them up for you? Yeah, look, I, I was pretty strong on them even last week when we did speak about the contenders, and I had them just above the Clippers uh, prior to this trade period. And I think this this move really does probably for me solidify them as as the second best side in the, in the West behind a full strength LA Lakers, if that is how they end up being. So, how far uh, behind the Lakers do you think they are? Do you think, given the Lakers at full strength with LeBron and Davis, no injury concerns there, Denver Nuggets at full strength, how, how do you reckon a series between these two would play out? Uh, I'd still be tipping the Lakers in that case. And, you know, if the rumours around DeAndre Drummond buyer are true as well, I think they bring a guy like that in, just another body to throw um, at Jokic at, at different times and then have Gazol, Montrez Halleril, Andre Drummond, Anthony Davis, and they're pretty loaded um, up in that in that front court. So um, I'd still have the Lakers as the number one seed. Yeah, I probably would just. It'd be, it'd be a really interesting series. It wouldn't surprise me if it went the distance. So, yeah, I'm uh, both of us really bullish on this trade for, for the Denver Nuggets bringing in Aaron Gordon. The third player that Orlando Magic parted with during the, the trade period was Evan Fournier. He was moved to the Boston Celtics for Jeff Teague. They, they obviously used some of that Gordon Hayward trade exception to bring him in. Fournier's on a $17 million expiring deal. He's having a career-best season of 19.7 points a game and 3.7 assists, which are both uh, career highs, shooting 46-39-80 splits from the field. Uh, Really interesting acquisition for the Celtics for me. We spoke about them uh, last week, I believe, and we probably didn't think they needed to necessarily bring in another scorer. We thought maybe more somebody who was going to be a playmaker. Now, Evan Fournier certainly... You know, you wouldn't describe him as a playmaker. He's a good offensive player, but he's certainly not a guy that gets a lot of people involved. You know, a 3.7 assist a game this year, a career high. So he's certainly not somebody that, that gets everyone involved or maybe even a wing defender or something. So it was interesting to see them going down this line. They'd been spoken about being really interested in Aaron Gordon. Maybe they that they weren't willing to put up what Denver did. So maybe they went to plan B, got Fournier in. You would expect that he would probably come off the bench now, their closing five is going to be really interesting for me. So Kemba Walker, Jalen Brown, Marcus Smart, and Jason Tatum, you'd probably think of four walk-ups. Now, what do they do with that last spot? Do they bring, Do they give it to you know, Robert Williams playing a small ball center? He's only six foot eight. He's a really good athlete. Now, don't forget that they, they traded away Daniel Tice as well, which was a little bit of a surprising move. I, I would assume it's just for, for tax purposes, given that Tice had been their starting center for the last two seasons. And they, it's not as if they've got an abundance of centers. You know, Tristan Thompson's out at the moment. Um, and the rumors going around are that he hasn't been all that popular with his teammates because he's been out partying and going to nightclubs and has had to miss a few games because of contract tracing. So you certainly wouldn't want to be relying on Tristan Thompson to be your center. And as I mentioned, Robert Williams, despite the fact he's a really good athlete, he's only six foot eight. So 
that closing five for me, I'd be interested, do they bring Fournier into that closing five and go really small and you're sort of asking Tatum to play centre then? or you, I, I don't really know how this, this deal uh, helps them all that much, Caddy. How do you see this shaking out for the Celtics? Well, look, with the Fournier piece of it, um, in its, you know, just individually, just on that piece, I, I didn't mind it. I didn't think they gave up a lot, a couple of second-round picks really to, to get the job done. And, look, it, I really like Evan Fournier's game, more, probably more from an international point of view. I really like some of the work he's done on the France or the French national team. But he's a pure scorer. Is he gonna, um, you know, sorry to cut you off. Is he going to get enough shots, eh? Like, you've got Brown and Tatum that take an abundance and Kemba Walker too. Like, all these, those three guys are basically used to averaging 20 points a game. You, you're shoehorning another guy who's a good offensive player, but where are the shots going to come from? Well, he's a 20-point-a-game player as well. Look, I don't think that's the role he's going to be coming in to play in this Boston team. And, you know, for him, you know, I don't think that's a really uh, big deal. He's going to be a free agent at the end of this season. And he, he can, you know, make his own bed at the end of that. But I think, you know, for him to be able to come in and, and particularly maybe a six-man role off the bench where he is just a, comes out as an out-and-out shooter, not too dissimilar to, say, Jordan Clarkson or a Lou Williams type and come in and just automatic offense. Um, you know, the thing for Evan Fournier coming into this situation, he's been the no, outside of Vucevic, he's probably more from a, a guard rotation point of view. He's been probably the number one target for opposition teams while being in Orlando. So he's now not going to get that best defender or best wing defender out, you know, being in his face the whole time. So I'd expect he'd get some easier shots in this Boston rotation, albeit, you know, limited opportunities. But I think he can come in and really give him a punch off the bench. So in just looking at that in isolation, I didn't mind the trade at all for Boston. When they then made that, trade to uh, move out Daniel Tice and bring in guys like Moritz Wagner and Luke Cornett. I was then, you know, basically expecting they're just freeing up a rotation spot, you know, in the big man department. The, the guy that you're looking at was either Lamarcus Aldridge or, or um, Andre Drummond to come in and, and play those centre minutes. Well, apparently they were making a very strong push for Andre Drummond. We'll talk about him a little bit later, but it looks like that's probably going to be unsuccessful. So maybe they were sort of really counting on that and it's probably not going to happen now. Well, that's what I'm kind of thinking because, you know, obviously now LaMarcus Aldridge is already committed to, to Brooklyn. We're hearing really strong rumours about Drummond and LA. We've got, I think Boston have got to be in and up to their eyeballs. They really have to try and make that happen because outside of that, the, the buyout market does get a bit thin. I'm sure we'll discuss it um, later in the podcast. But if they can't bring in another big guy, then, you know, the reliance now on their younger bigs uh, coming in and playing meaningful time for this team is a bit of a uh, bit of a worry. I mean, Robert Williams brings some energy. He can do some nice things, but you know, a really big, strong center to be able to go up against the like of a Joel Embiid in the playoffs. Well, who is that guy now for Boston? For me, I well, they know, don't I have one, do they? Really? Well, it's not. I don't think it's Tristan Thompson, and you've, you've outlined a few of the issues there. And then outside that, you know, it is quite a small rotation. So that when the tie deal happened, it was like, okay, well, that makes sense in the event they're going to bring in a guy like Drummond. If they can't land it, well, I think they're in trouble from that point of view. So, yeah, so with Boston, you know, sort of on the fence a little bit, I think the Fournier deal in isolation is good. I think, you know, at any time you can bring in a guy that's capable of scoring 20 points a game is something you can do if you're or you're giving up a couple of second-round picks. However, then moving on, you know, their starting centre and not really bringing anything back there can, that can solidify that at this stage is a bit of a concern. But I think for them, it's a bit of a wait and see how the buyout shakes out and whether they can add another big into this roster. Yeah, I agree. I've got nothing against Evan Fournier as a player. You've sort of outlined what he brings to the table there. And and, and that's certainly a you know a quality player. He is, no doubt about it. But I'm just a little bit confused as to their path they're going down. As I said, maybe they were really banking on getting 
and Andre Drummond. Um, they, they would have guaranteed him a starting spot uh, and probably plenty of minutes as well. So it's a little bit surprising that he's not going to go there. But I just look at it now, and I reckon this puts a little bit of a ceiling on on their, on their where they could finish. It might raise their floor a little bit, but, you know, I can't see in any world they're going to be able to match up with Philly. Um, so, you know, maybe they can avoid them or, you know, even even a, a Milwaukee or someone like this. I, I, I just I can't see how they're going to be able to compete with these with these teams that have some of these bigger players. So I'll be interested to see if they do add someone in the buyout market. Gorgie Jeng is probably the only other one I can think of, not that he's any great shakes either. So, yeah, it's, it's just a little bit confusing for me what, what uh, Boston did at the deadline there. If, the, if they'd kept... Daniel Tice, not that he's, you know, an outstanding centre. I mentioned there he's probably one of the best backups in the league now. He's probably a, an average to below average starter, but at least it was a big body and, you know, you could ask him to go out there and compete a little bit. I just can't see how they're going to be able to do that now. We'll talk about what Orlando did. Obviously, they've moved out these three guys. What did what did you think of what, about what Orlando did, Caddy? Did you think that was the right thing to do? Basically hit the reset button. The reset button now it allows them now to probably slide right down the standings. They're they're in second last at the moment in the East. It, it's spoken about this year's draft is to be a really strong draft, a five player draft. If you if you land in a, a top five pick, you're going to get a really you know maybe a franchise changing player. You know they've brought in these these three first round picks and Carter Junior as well. Were you happy with what Orlando did, or did you think they should have kept these guys and try to make another run? No, I think in the end they sort of decided that this obviously this core group of players that they they you know they've been building and, and trying to develop ever really ever since the Dwight Howard trade back in 2013. So you know they've gone to two playoffs in the last eight years for two wins. You know two individual wins they've gone yeah you know, two and eight in those series. And so they they've had a, a, a number of iterations really of trying to develop this team. And um, Vucevic has obviously been a core part of that ever since that Dwight Howard trade where he. He came in, and then they, you know, had a number of lottery picks that haven't quite worked out. They've gone big a couple of times with uh, Bumber and Isaac. That hasn't quite worked out. They brought in Markel Markel Fultz, who's another former number one pick. You know, the jury's still out whether he's going to be a, a high level contributor in the league. Aaron Gordon, as we said, has been one of the, the great dictators of all time. And then, you know, Evan Fournier has been a pretty solid player really all the way through. But you know, he might just be a a, a good stats bad team sort of player. So, I think in the end. Albeit they've been able to remain relatively competitive, which is you know to, to their credit, really after losing, you, you, it's not often you you can get a um, you lose a guy like Dwight Howard in a you know in a forced trade and be able to sort of almost say that you won the trade. And I think in the end, Orlando, you know, really with what they brought back in that deal, was has been able to keep them afloat and keep them competitive. And you know they have gone to the playoffs a couple of times, but they were never going to be a championship threat, a championship level contender, or even a you know a high level second round type of. Eastern Playoff Conference team, which is, I think, in the end for John Hammond and his and his executive team there in Orlando, they've just decided that enough was enough. Um, while they can get something back for a few of these assets, if they left it too much longer than potentially, you know, the hole that they could have got back is going to be ever increasingly diminished. And we've even seen that with what all they could get back with Evan Fournier, obviously, with just a couple of um, second round draft picks, really. Um, so if they waited another year on Aaron Gordon, then he becomes an expiring contract and you're not going to be able to leverage that as well. And Vukovic was probably at the height of his trade value. So I think for them, it was a good move. You mentioned the draft this year. And if they can now, I think they'll really put themselves in a position to, to probably be one of the worst teams in the league from here on in uh, this season. So they should be able to, for their hope, get a you know land in the top three spot and if it is a guy like Cade, Cade Cunningham or um, Jalen Suggs or someone like that then come in then it does automatically change the 
the franchise, and I think that's obviously what they're looking to do. They've got some, you know, good young players that we've spoken about. I think Carter Jr. There's obviously some hope that they can, you know, retool him and make him a player. I think um, Cole Anthony as a rookie this year has shown some positive signs. You know, Mo Bumba again has just been, you know, pretty pretty much ultra disappointing, really, around injury as well. Jonathan Isaac in the same boat. So there's there's some young players on the team. If they can bring in a, you know, a top three pick and a really strong draft and add to that, you know, they've obviously got the future Bulls picks as well. Then I think in the end. Uh, what they've been able to do is sort of really retool, start again, and you know, hope like hell that they can get some luck in the lottery. Well, I, th- I think they're they're going to slide right down the standings. You look at that roster now, and they've clearly got the worst roster in the NBA by a fair way. I would have thought. Now you'd say Terence Ross is probably their best remaining player. Now OKC might be able to mount a strong argument now, given that Shea Gilgis Alexander is probably going to miss the remainder of the, of the season. And they also announced today that. Al Horford won't play for the remainder of the season. So you can see some sides now really positioning themselves to to, to go into the to the tank of a loser, if you want to call it that, and, and try and really position themselves. Because the lottery odds have changed so much that you, you obviously want to get, get down as far as you possibly can. So, yeah, I agree. Orlando have done the right thing here. There's no point, you know, fronting up, as you said there. They, they've only won two playoff games over the last few years. What's the point of being on that, as, as they call it, the treadmill of me- mediocrity? I like what they've done. They've hit the reset button. You'd imagine they'd be able to get some good draft picks over the next couple of years. Uh, their own picks and obviously the picks they've acquired uh, for the players they've given away. So And, and obviously Wendell Carter Jr. as well. If he can sort of plan out to be a good player, I, I like what they've done. So the other team that, that made the, the big move what was the Miami Heat. So they bought in... Victor Oladipo for Avery Bradley, Kelly Olenek, and a 2022 pick swap, which you'd imagine wouldn't even convey. So essentially just for Avery Bradley and Kelly Olenek. Um, they also brought in Nemanja Bialica for Mo Harkless and Chris Silva. So what essentially what Miami have done over the last sort of week or two, they've brought in Trevor Ariza, Victor Oladipo, and Nemanja Bialica for essentially the only rotation player they lost was Kelly Olenek. So... As a Miami Heat fan, I like what they've done. I, I, I like the you know the closing five they could potentially run out in Jimmy Butler, Victor Oladipo, uh, Duncan Robinson, Tyler Hero, and Bam. You've got plenty of shooting there. Oladipo would obviously not be asked to do as much on the offensive end, so maybe he can be more of a defender. He's certainly been a little bit disappointing this year. I thought he started the the season reason reasonably well in Indiana in those six or seven games he played, but in Houston where he's been asked to be a little bit more of an offensive player. His um, efficiency has dropped right off. So there's certainly a big question mark on how much gas Oladipo has left in the tank. And that's obviously the reason Miami were able to get him so cheap. But it's certainly a, a, a worth the flyer. There's been rumours going around for years how much Oladipo was keen to get to Miami and play for Miami. He was coached by Dwayne Wade's uh, college coach. So there's been a, a little bit of a connection there that there was a Dwayne Wade comparisons made to Oladipo when he came in from the draft as well. So it's probably always been on the cards that he was going to end up a Miami player. And, and I reckon Pat Riley was was pretty happy to get him for for so little. Um, as I said there, that, that closing five, they, they could run out there. You know, they've got Ariza, Iguodala, Bialica, Goran Dragic and Kendrick Nunn they could bring off the bench. I think they've got a really sort of strong 10-man rotation there. Now, they're on a six-game losing streak and they've slipped down to eighth, I think, in the standings at the moment. So they obviously need to rectify that really quickly. But if they can get all these guys up and going, Butler can continue to play at the level he's play, he's played at since he's come back from injury. Bam Adebayo's having a sensational season. If all this can come together, I think Miami could cause some waves, uh, certainly in the East. 
How much of a, an uptick do you think this gives Miami, uh, Caddy? Oh, look, I think they did really, really well. They sort of, you know, obviously I think from what we hear, we're kind of positioning as strongly as they could in the Kyle Lowry um, stake that really never eventuated. But to, to have been able to make that happen, then they would have had to have foregone, um, whether it be a Duncan Robinson or a Tyler Hero or, you know, some sort of high-level, you know, young talent. So in this trade, they'd be able to get Oladipo to come in, albeit potentially as a rental, but all, really, as you said, all they've given up um, from a meaningful minutes point of view was Kelly Olynyk, And, you know, I think Olynyk's had a, a really strong season. But, you know, with the addition of a guy like Trevor Reza, another guy that can shoot the three, Bayalitsa, who you, who you also mentioned, I think they've just sat it out and done it really, really beautifully and, and swung when they needed, needed to swing right at the end of the trade deadline to bring Oladipo in. So they get the opportunity now to, um, yeah, obviously have a look at him. They, you, you mentioned they've been into him for quite a while and all the detail into Miami. So they can now get basically a, a free look at him over the next few months and then, you know, really evaluate whether they think he's a guy that's going to be ready or, or, or you know, they're prepared to pay any meaningful money longer term uh, to, to be a part of the franchise going forward. So if anything, they've got him through to the rest of the season, gives another, you know, really strong option in the backcourt, particularly from a defensive point of view. You know, and if he can also make sure he stays nice and healthy and fit, then I think offensively he's got plenty to, to offer as well. So they're not paying a lot to find out whether or not he's the guy that can really help them progress as far as they can into this season. But I think even going forward, to the ability to sort of really have him under their wing and evaluate him as a longer-term asset, um, I think is a really strong possibility. I think the biggest story here really for me is the Houston Rockets and probably the, a really big mistake that they ended up making as part of that James Harden trade where they essentially – you know, chose him over a guy like Karis LeVert, who was under contract. Baffling, isn't it? Absolutely baffling. Yeah, they they just don't have a lot to show show for that um, part of the trade. Well, essentially, sorry to cut you off, essentially what they've got for the Harden trade was Alenic, Dante Exum, Roddy and Kurix, and then all these draft picks from Brooklyn, which God knows where they're going to end up. You'd, You'd hope for their sake that... They end up somewhere decent because yeah, they could have got they could have got Ben Simmons. Like the 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 mail is that Philly were probably willing to part with Simmons, so they they've balked at Ben Simmons. They've gone for these draft picks, and maybe they just thought they could get more draft picks for Oladipo as a, as opposed to Levert. But that certainly didn't pan out at all, did it? No, not at all. And you know, look, I think you know the one positive at least Houston have been able to kind of face the music and and, and make the trade on Oladipo, other than just basically. Um, facing up and spending big money on him just to save face, essentially, in terms of... They know, did they offer him two years, $45 million, which he declined. Which I think probably for them now is, is a good result of that decision that happened. I think it does. As you said, you talked about Orlando, you know, resetting. Well, the Houston Rockets are, are right back to square one, really, with the roster that they've, that they've now got. So they're really going to be hoping like hell that they also get an opportunity to land one of these potential franchise guys because outside of that, and potentially Christian Wood, then this roster is really, really light on. So um, I think in the end, moving all the depot on really at any cost, and in the end, um, you know, the, the hold that you mentioned that came back wasn't very strong, and I'm sure that they would have in hindsight preferred a guy like Karis Levert on a reasonably fair market value contract over the next two years uh, would have been preferable. Um, however, they made that choice a couple of months ago. At least they've been able to not make a, another bad decision potentially in locking in all the depot in longer term big money, you know, three or four or five years. They're already going to be hamstrung, I think, with John Wall's contract. I'm not sure how they're going to be able to manoeuvre their way out of that over the next couple of years. So, you know, to have then overpaid Oladipo alongside that would have been a recipe for disaster. So I give them credit, albeit for the fact they didn't get a lot back in and 
you know, the Harden trade in its entirety now looks um, disastrous. However, I think their option was now to overpay Oladipo on a longer-term deal. I think that would have been less palatable than just now to clean clean books and, you know, basically reload and, and start almost from, from, from nothing. Yeah, they're definitely going down the Orlando Magic path there. It's kind of interesting for me what happens with Oladipo. Um, the the trade, uh, sorry, the free agent mark of him might not be as robust as what he's as what he was hoping because for Miami to get him so cheaply, there's obviously a lot of teams out there that were thinking, you know, we're not interested in him. So I'm going to be interested. As I said, he turned down 45 million in two years for from Houston as an extension. That that was a max extension they could have given him. He turned that down, obviously hoping maybe for a longer contract. So, yeah, I'm interested to see what happens there. So, for you, does where does this push Miami up to in the East? I still have them below that sort of trio of Philly, Brooklyn, and uh, Milwaukee. Does it For you, does it put them just below them? It put, for me, it puts them just below that three there. What about you? Yeah, I think for me, they're on the same. I still think there's a real strong, a real big gap. and There's clearly a gap in the standings when you look at uh, Milwaukee Bucks in the three seed at 29 and 16, and now the Charlotte Hornets have moved their way up into the fourth seed. Well, is that five and a half games behind? I, I think there's a large gap there. Miami Heat, I think the best they're going to be able to ask for in this situation is to get up into potentially a four seed. And I think that's probably, I think, on talent um, where they should finish or beat. You now, we saw what they were able to do last year. But I think at the moment, I'd still have them definitely below Philadelphia, Brooklyn, and Milwaukee, leading the, the pack of chasers behind then. And if you know everything breaks right for them in the playoffs, then potentially, you know, there, there could be an upset to be had. But I think, you know, they've given themselves every opportunity. Um, Pat Rowley's really done it again. But as you mentioned before, they're going to have to turn this losing streak that's now up to six games, really turn that around because, um, you know, you've got the Chicago Bulls behind them, Toronto Raptors, albeit they look like they haven't been any chance of making the playoffs. But, you know, they're only a game and a half out of the plane. So, you know, I'm not going to write them off. They've kept Kyle Lowry. They've obviously decided that what they were getting offered wasn't enough and they'd almost prefer to sort of make one last run. So, you know, Miami can't be cheeky here. They're going to have to get on a run pretty quickly. And, you know, if they want to certainly avoid the plane and get it up to at least the sixth seed. Let's hope they can do that, Caddy, hey? Uh, so the other team that made a pretty significant move were the Portland Trailblazers. They brought in Norm Powell uh, for Rodney Hood and Gary Trent Jr. Now, uh, Norm Powell's having a career year at 19.7 points a game, shooting 50, 45, 85 splits. He's got a player option for next year, which he will certainly decline because there's going to he's going to be a pretty hot commodity on the on the market there. So I think Toronto looked at that. They thought uh, we, we probably don't want to pay the twenty twenty odd million plus that he'll probably that he'll probably get in, in as a free agent. We'll bring in Gary Gary Trent Jr., who's also going to be a free agent next year, but he's got, certainly going to come cheaper than uh, what Norm Powell w- will. What do you think about this deal, firstly, for Portland, Caddy? Do you think this sort of pushes them up a little bit? It gives them certainly another score, but maybe didn't address the, the needs that they needed to. Yeah, I think you've nailed it on the head. I thought it was a pretty underrated move, actually, bringing Norm Powell in at the expense of Gary Trent. You know, and I mean, I mean, Gary Trent's numbers have been you know quite strong this season, but that's really been because CJ McCollum hasn't been there for a, a long period of time. So I think Norm Powell gives them you know, probably greater stability, really, particularly in a, in a bench role and more upside if one of their leading guards does get injured. So He had 22 think, you know, points in his debut yesterday as well, so he's certainly going to be able to fill it up for them. Yeah, and I, and I, I like it, and I like his play, and I think I think you're right about what his value is going to be out on this free agent market next year, or at the end of this year, where you know it has weakened a little bit the players that are going to be out there and Toronto's appetite to really pay him. I, you know, I, I think they'd already invested quite a lot into Van Vliet into Siakam, and um, I think OJ 
and Anerdi will be the next one that they're going to obviously invest into as well. So I think they're able to get off that, bringing you know at least bring in someone that can help them in the short term, um, Gary Trent. But I think you know your question around Portland, yeah, I agree. I don't think it necessarily fixed all their deficiencies, but I think you know in isolation it, it was a good a good move and and, a, and an upgrade onto what they had. Yeah, it takes a bit of heat off CJ and Dame, doesn't it? Because obviously they rely heavily on those two to score in the crunch and we know how good Dame is at doing that. But to be able to bring in another guy who can comfortably score 20 points a game, really efficiency would really help them. And as I said, I think Toronto just just looked at, just didn't want to pay Norm Powell the, the off-season contract and Gary Trent Jr. shooting a career-high 40% from three is, is a reasonable enough uh, guy to bring in to, to replace Powell. So I, I think it was you'd give both the, those franchises there a tick for that trade, I reckon. We'll talk about quickly some of the other smaller moves that were made around the perimeter. Now, the Clippers brought in Rajon Rondo for Lou Williams and a couple of second-round picks there. We did talk about the Clippers' need for, for bringing in a, a playmaker last week. How confident are you? Like we know Rondo, you know he's got this history of being a playoff Rondo, as they call him. His numbers always go up in the playoffs. You could argue argue last year that he was the Lakers' third best player during the playoffs. Now he he only averaged the nine points a game uh, and six point six assists, but he shot he shot forty percent from three. He was hitting these threes when, when they needed him. How confident are you that Rondo can come in and play the role that the Clippers need and be able to help them share the ball around a little bit? Oh, this one was a one that I really struggled with a little bit. Look, I get why they did it. We did speak about it, um, particularly you know having a you know a, a star level point guard that you know come in and help drive this team and really help set them up. Is Rondo that guy? Look, he hasn't been it this year. Um, we've seen him do it year after year in the playoffs, however. So I, I assume that's why the Clippers have pulled the trigger on it. He's, he's thirty. He's just turned thirty five. He's got a guaranteed seven point five million dollar contract next season, which I don't think is ideal from the Clippers' point of view. Um, his three-point shooting has has improved this season, but he's still not really a, a threat to actually shoot it because you'll pass up a lot of those uncontested shots. But, um, look, I think it's a... You're not suggesting that Rondo assist hunts to you, are you, Caddy? No, well, I think that's exactly what he does. But I think, really, to you know, to pass on it or to part with a you know guy like Lou Williams, you know, for all these deficiencies that he has and he hasn't really delivered in the playoffs and all that type of thing. I think really what it's saying to a couple of their younger players, in particular like Terence Mann and perhaps Luke Kennard, is that they, you know, they are prepared to give these guys a bit, bit more burn. Because I, I don't think Rondo's going to come in and, and play the level of minutes that Lou Williams does. So I don't look at it for a like for like in terms of what they're doing. I think they're potentially opening up more opportunity for a, for a Terence Mann or a Kennard. Williams' and, minutes were way down. It was twenty eight point seven last year, down to twenty one point nine this year. So they, they obviously didn't have a lot, didn't have a lot of confidence in him this year, did they? Yeah, no, they didn't. And I don't think, I don't think Rondo's going to come in and play any more than the twenty one minutes either. So no, you wouldn't think, think so. Yeah, so I think you know they're, they're going to have to hand the keys over a little bit to Man. Hope Canard can come through and, and and play something meaningful for them. Look, I am worried about them losing you know that offensive punch that Williams has been given them year after year um, off the bench. But I think they've obviously made that decision that they, they valued um, what Rondo brings to the table a little bit more in, in around that leadership. He might be able to really push on or, or pull the levers of the guy like Kawhi Leonard and Paul George and really hold those guys accountable as they go deeper into their playoff run. So I think, you know, when you look at it a bit more, a bit more broadly, then there are other things that Rondo, if engaged, can, can bring out. And he's probably a better defender than, than Lou Williams, um, a better passer. However, I, I am worried about if a guy like Kennard can't come in and, and produce, then 
um, what they've lost offensively by getting rid of um, Lou Williams is a bit of, a bit of a concern. But I'm not thinking that it's it's a, it's adjusted their playoff odds any greater in terms of being a, a, any more of a championship threat than they were a week ago. I'm going to give this the emoji shrug, and it sounds like you are as well. I, I don't know how much this is going to influence it. That maybe he does come out and play the way he did for the Lakers, but but I'm certainly got no confidence, despite the fact that my cousin Chris, a big Clippers supporter, was telling me that this is the reason they're going to win the championship. I've certainly got my doubts <laughs> about that. Uh, so Philadelphia were the other one that were looking for a playmaker as well. That they were up to the they were in the Kyle, Kyle Lowry trade rumors as well, and we'll talk a little bit about Lowry after this and and discuss why he actually didn't get traded. But they ended up bringing in, bringing in George Hill uh, instead of Larry for Tony Bradley, who had actually been putting up some pretty good uh, numbers for them since that uh, injury to Joel Embiid and a second rounder. We did talk about that they might be adding George Hill last week. What did you think about them adding George Hill? We, we do think they certainly would need another distributor besides Ben Simmons. Were you happy with them getting George Hill for... Not a great deal, I suppose. Losing Tony Bradley may hurt in the short term because they've really only got one centre now on their roster, Dwight Howard. So they're going to have to make do until Embiid gets back. And if Embiid does miss a playoff game or two, which he has been, which he has done a little bit during his career, it could leave a bit of a hole there. But were you happy with them to bring in George Hill for Tony Bradley in a second rounder? Yeah, look, George Hill certainly isn't Kyle Lowry, but I think Daryl Morey was obviously reading the tea leaves pretty early on and he kind of, shifted his focus away from Lowry and to be able to, you know, at least get his hands on a guy like George Hill addresses some of the some of the concerns they obviously had about another point guard coming in and, and assisting Ben Simmons. So look I think for what they gave up, obviously you mentioned that the the centre depth is certainly weaker now for Philadelphia and it's it's leaving more pressure on Dwight Howard and obviously, you know, when Joel Embiid returns. But no, they're still going to have an option to to sort of look around the buyout market if they are looking for another big body. Um, obviously, Mike Scott was sort of the guy that came in and played more minutes um, after that trade. They, he, st- he got the start in the starting lineup, played for 29 minutes, albeit just the three points, three assists. But at least there was another big body to, to kind of throw out there. But I, look, I think for Philly, once obviously the price on um, Kyle Lowry wasn't going to be um, appetising that they, you know, at least they were proactively able to shift pretty quickly and, and grab Hill. Um, a veteran guy that can, that can shoot the three and, and come in. He's a 38.6% shooter from deep. So, you know, he'll be able to get some more open looks, you know, catching passes from a guy like Ben Simmons. Yeah, I think he actually led the NBA in three-point shooting for a lot of last season. I don't know if he finished uh, as a top shooter, but he was certainly one of the better shooters for a majority of the season. So, as you said there, you'd imagine he'd get a lot of open looks. So, for me, just a nice solid ad, which I think – will contribute for them during the playoffs. So we'll talk about some of the players that were reported to be on the move that didn't end up being moved, and Kyle Lowry is obviously the biggest name there. So the three teams that were really keen to get him were Miami, Philly, and the Lakers. Now, the reports are that Miami weren't willing to part with Tyler Hero or Duncan Robinson. Philly, the draft compensation there was a thing that sort of didn't make this deal go through. So whether Toronto were after a couple of first-rounders and Philly weren't willing to throw that in, I'm not 100% sure what happened there. And and the rumour was the Lakers didn't get Kyle Lowry on board because they didn't want to include Taylor Horton Tucker. Now, for me, when I look at these three teams here and I say which team, for me, should have gone all in and gone for, and gone for Lowry, it's definitely the Lakers for me. You've got LeBron James now... LeBron James is superhuman. We 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 know that he's he's in season seventeen or eighteen or whatever he's in at the moment. Continues to play at a high level, but how long can he continue to do this at this level? He might have two, three years max 
I think you need to go all in when you've got LeBron LeBron James playing at this level. So for me to not get Kyle Lowry on board because you don't want to give up Taylor Horton Tucker, that's a bit of a head-scratcher for me because unless Taylor Horton Tucker turns into a guy that makes five or six all-stars, well, I think you should have thrown him in and brought Lowry in. For me, Caddy, that, that was the most baffling one. Out of those three teams, which, which one for you was disappointing that they didn't get Larry on board? Oh, look, I would have liked the, the Sixers to have, you know, had, had a really strong look at this. Um, obviously, you know, the price that they were talking, which potentially was Thibel, Maxi, first-round picks, um, whatever it was going to be, um, was obviously uh, um, a bridge too far for a guy on a, an expiring contract to come in as a rental, really. I, I thought for Philly to pair him with Simmons really take that playoff pressure off him and really be able to work that pick and roll with Joel Embiid and then use Simmons as a you know a secondary ball handler as well was a missed opportunity. Although when you do mention the Lakers and if it if it literally came down to the unwillingness to part with THT, then I think that's probably the the bigger miss. Um, obviously the Sixers were gonna obviously be giving up probably higher level young talent and draft assets. Um, so if it did come down to that, then obviously from a Lakers point of view that was a bit of a head-scratcher. But, you know, I think Miami pivoted well with Oladipo. I think Philadelphia pivoted reasonably well to get George Hill. And, look, if the Lakers, you know, are able to sort of use that roster spot and bring in a guy like Andre Drummond and solidify, you know, the big man department, then potentially all things being equal with LeBron James, Dennis Schroeder, um, they should still have enough, you know, ball handling, passing, playmaking um, in the guard spot. So, look, they all missed out. And I think in, in, in the end, Toronto... And Kyle Lowry, I think they were kind of working uh, by the sounds of it in, in pretty tight partnership around how they were going to move forward. Obviously decided that the assets coming back weren't going to be enough at this stage um, to move him on, and they're going to, you know, have one last look at um, what their lineup can be moving into the rest of the season. I, I still think Toronto are in all sorts of trouble. They haven't addressed the big man department at this stage. It looks like they're going to be out of the Andre Drummond stake. So. Look, they're, they're only going to be a middling play-in tournament team at best this season, which is you know a bit, bit of a sad way for Lowry to really end his uh, Raptors career um, if we're assuming that he's going to leave in free agency anyway. It'd be interesting to see what happens with him there. It was a bit of a strange scenario, wasn't it? We saw him when he played that last game before the trade deadline. He walked off the court and he was waving at the cameras and he even said how strange it felt. So uh, he was obviously expecting to be moved and for it not to happen, like he will obviously be more than happy with that, but I'll be interested to see if he does hang around in the off-season. But, yeah, I, I agree. F- Philly would have been a really good fit for him as well. But if if, you, if he had been added to Philly, I think that would have made them a really good chance to win it. But if he's added to the Lakers, I mean, I can't see anybody beating the Lakers as long as as, as Davis and LeBron are obviously healthy. You're throwing Kyle Lowry as well. I think, you know, they obviously won it last year. That You're adding Kyle Lowry. I can't see how they would have lost it if everyone was healthy. So if Taylor and Horton Tucker was the reason to not add him, that that, that is... Very strange for me. So a couple of the other names that were rumoured to be on the move that didn't end up happening were Lonzo Ball, Harrison Barnes and John Collins. For you, Caddy, which one of those three would you have liked to see moved? Uh, probably Harrison Barnes. Look, I'd still like to think, you know, John Collins and Lonzo Ball, Laurie Markin is obviously another one, all coming up with um, pending restricted free agency. I'd still like to hope that, you know, in the end that those teams can kind of bring those players back and, and yeah, at least try and move forward with them. Uh, Harrison Barnes, on the other hand, you know, he was in a situation in Sacramento where, you know, albeit he hit an incredible game winner. It was unbelievable, today, wasn't it? Unbelievable. Was, I don't know, if you hadn't seen that, definitely jump on and, and uh, YouTube it. There was a basically a, a quarterback lock throw from the um, behind the goal. Uh, Harrison catches it out on the wing at three-pointer. He had about 
a second to turn around and shoot in, in um, and, and, and he got it and to get the win against Cleveland today. So that was quite incredible. But look, where are Sacramento going? Let's be honest, they're going nowhere. If there was some trade value associated around um, Harrison Barnes, and I really would have thought it would have been in Sacramento's interest to, to make that trade, albeit, you know, they're in one of these weird situations. They've just got themselves into a four game win streak. They're now only one game out of the play in tournament. So, and this is where that whole play in tournament situation has, has kind of changed probably the perception of where teams think they're going to be or think they want to get to. So, a franchise like Sacramento, if there's even a sniff of being able to get involved in playoff basketball, if they, you know, as you look at it right now, if they, you know, jumped over the Golden State Warriors, got into that 10th seed, their matchup right now would be the San Antonio Spurs. And they would probably fancy themselves as, as, as good a chance of winning that as, as anything. So that would then propel them into a playoff series. So maybe that's how they're looking at it. They were probably happy to sit, stand pat with the roster they had and give it, you know, a little bit of a crack to make it there. But I think he, of those players, as the other ones were restricted free agents, had had probably the most value out on the open market. And I was surprised um, he didn't get moved. Yeah, I agree. I would have really liked to have seen Harrison Barnes move. He's only 28 years old. It seems like he's been around forever and he'd be much older than that. But only 28, still got some really good basketball left in front of him. You mentioned his game winner today would have been fantastic. So I think he could have added a lot to a number of rosters, you know, Boston, for instance, I would have liked to have seen him gone there. So, yeah, it would, it would have been good to see Harrison Barnes change to one of those teams that could have really pushed up and been a contender because yeah, you mentioned Sacramento might be able to get into that play-in play tournament, but you can't imagine they're going to be able to cause too much damage. So we'll, ju- we'll finish off by talking by a couple of the guys that, 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 that were bought out. So LaMarcus Aldridge has, has signed uh, yesterday or early this morning with Brooklyn. Apparently he's been, gar- he's been guaranteed significant minutes at centre, which means he's obviously going to take some minutes off either DeAndre Jordan or Nick Claxton, who's been pretty good for, for them in that role as well. How much do you uh, foresee Aldridge contributing to the Brooklyn Nets, given that Blake Griffin's gone there as well? I would have thought Griffin would have played more at centre as well. So they've now probably got four guys whose ideal position is centre. It was a little bit surprising to me, to be honest, for Aldridge to go there because I, I thought he could have got a bigger role elsewhere. He was strongly rumoured to be going to Miami. I'm not sure what happened there, but he's ended up going to Brooklyn. How much do you see him contributing to the Nets? Yeah, I thought that was a surprise um, decision, really, for, for both parties. Look, you, you've mentioned there that he's been sort of promised extended minutes, and obviously that's what they've had to do to get him over there. And I think we do probably forget how, uh, you know, LaMarcus Soldier's ability as an offensive player, in one in three games this year, he still has scored over 20 points a game. So he is more than capable of, you know, putting the ball in the ring. Um, I just wonder, you know, the opportunities he's going to get in that offense if, you know, you, you bring Durant. Irving, Harden, now got Griffin, you've still got Joe Harris, you've still got um, Claxton, who you mentioned, who I would have preferred them to, you know, you know, try and balance this out as best they can while, you know, obviously gunning for the title, you know, still developing a player like Claxton and, and, and Brown as well. So I found it surprising. I, I don't know where the minutes really are going to come from. And if anything, it just really diminishes potentially anything that Blake Griffin may have brought to the table. so And he's been reasonable for him, hasn't he, since he been? I think he scored 19 points the other day. He's shown some flashes. Yeah, he's shown a bit of a sign of life, um, which is pleasing. And I think, you know, that's all we'll, you know, anyone was sort of hoping that he'd come in and, and at least look like a, a professional NBA player again, which I think he's been able to do. The LaMarcus Could you believe was, that his first basket for Brooklyn was a dunk? After everyone had spoken about at length for how long it had been since he had his dunk, his first basket for Brooklyn, a dunk. Yeah, look, I wasn't surprised at all because he basically um, 
decided in his last month or so at uh, Detroit that he was just going to be a, a, a three-point shooter because that's all he was basically doing, standing outside the arc and banging up three-pointers. So, you know, look, that certainly wasn't what he was going to be brought into Brooklyn to do. And, you know, he's going to get on the end of some pretty easy dunk lobs, fast breaks in that in that lineup. How Aldridge fits with all this, who knows? Look, I found it quite disappointing, really, that Aldridge decided on Brooklyn. I would have liked to have, you know, seen him go elsewhere and at least give, you know, another team an opportunity to... to They're to stacking the deck, aren't they? Time. They're certainly stacking the deck. Imagine, yeah, this, well, imagine this team four years ago. Well, they've still got one more move move to make, so that's the interesting part. They're still not done um, adding plays. They've got one more roster spot open. So if any one of these other guys that want out potentially put their hand up and go, look, you know, I, I see what they're building in Brooklyn. They're going to clearly be a, a, a top-end playoff team that potentially could go all the way to the finals. This might be a chance to, to just to piggyback on the back of that. Well, whoever that player is, there is that opportunity there uh, to go and join up with this um, now what is an incredible super team. Yeah, it'll certainly be interesting to see how it all comes together. The other name uh, on the buyout market that's quite big is Andre Drummond, and, and, and the strong rumours are that he is going to the Lakers. As I mentioned, the Boston Celtics had made a really strong push to try and get him there. But let's say he goes to the Lakers. How much can you see him contributing there? You'd imagine he would probably start now over Gasol. Does he just take all of Gasol's minutes? Gasol wasn't getting a lot of minutes and wasn't really contributing all that much. He's certainly not going to be in their closing lineup. So, again, for me, it's a bit... A bit of a head scratcher that Drummond would go to the Lakers. Is he going there to maybe win a championship, and that sort of raises his profile a little bit? I'm not too sure. I reckon he would have been better suited to go to a Boston. He would certainly would have started there as well, and maybe even potentially closed there. But he, he definitely won't close with the Lakers because they they'll go with Davis at the five when they need to win the game. So, yeah, I'm not too sure how much he is going to add to to the Lakers. Uh, what what do you see from Drummond for the Lakers? Yeah, look, I think Boston certainly was the better fit for him in terms of playing meaningful time. Although from the Lakers situation, it does just give them absolutely ultimate insurance at the five position. So if Davis has anything more sinister than what he currently has, or if he does get re-injured, he's, he, I think he's an upgrade automatically over Mark Gasol. And, you know, it allows um, Montrezl Howard to continue to play, you know, a really important bench role. So, look, if, if the Lakers are the ones that, that land him, then I think there's value there um, in terms of coverage and to see Andre Drummond on a good basketball team for the first time will actually be something quite enjoyable to see what kind of role he can play, what kind of impact he can have and, and that may be something that can propel him forward into a into a larger sizable contract in a good team next year if they can sort of, you know, there's not many players that play alongside LeBron James and um, are, are worse off for it. They generally see in a higher spotlight, higher, higher market and Generally, things go pretty well for that player. So, look, I am interested if Drummond does land there to see what in- impact he can have in, on a really on a, in a meaningful team. Yeah, I, I think the Lakers fans would be happy at least because you, you looked at Philly added somebody, Brooklyn, Milwaukee, and the Clippers all all added players uh, during this trade period. So at least they can hang their hat on if they do get Andre Drummond because if they they had Stan Pat and and didn't add Kyle Lowry because of Taylor Horton Tucker and, and then they lost the championship. Oh, I don't think the uh, the Lakers fans would have been all that happy. So at least well, they, they, they they've still got a signing yet. So we're going well, to yeah wait for no that, wait well, for that wage bomb first before we get too excited. Well, I think Wage did tweet that it was leaning that way. So he's reasonably connected, Wage. So when he tweets something, <laughs> it usually does come to fruition. But we'll call it there. It was an extra long one tonight, but we thought it probably 
probably would be given all the activity that had happened. So as I say every week, thank you to everyone who continues to download the podcast. If you can continue to to share it amongst some friends and try and grow the audience as much as possible, we would really appreciate that. And we'll talk to you all next week. Thank you.